Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Don't know if you ever remember a gentleman named in human history, in the West history, in the history of England and America, a gentleman named Wim Wilberforce. Wim Wilberforce was in Parliament in England. And one of the things that he came to hate, now he didn't used to hate it, but then it was brought to his attention. This is the way we're treating human beings now, and you've got to take a stand. Since he was in Parliament, he knew he probably could take a stand. And since his best friend was the guy in charge of Parliament, was indeed the head man, he thought, well, maybe we can do something. He hated slavery. He hated the slave trade. And some people moved into his life to show him what was happening, and it just made him cry. And so he said, I'm going to fight it. And he did fight it. But it took him 45 years. I mean, the stuff that was happening to him, things like this. He, he, he was about ready to outlaw the slave trade. He'd get everything lined up. Everything was perfect. This was the day it was going to happen. Then some rich guys came along and said, hey, free tickets tonight to the opera. And handed them around to everybody that was going to vote in favor of Wilberforce's bill. And guess what? They all went to the opera. He lost the vote. And he had to buckle himself in again and wait some more years before he'd come up. I mean, it was just hard slogging work. But finally, he did it. He got rid of the slave trade. And then on his deathbed, 45 years in the parliamentary fight to try to get rid of the slave trade, then slavery, 45 years it took him, on his deathbed, someone came in and says, it's happened, William. Slavery is over in England. When the slave trade went, it was interesting what he did. Wilberforce decided, I need to go to Scripture to remember what this is all about. And when he went to the Scripture, after he won the slave trade vote, this is the verse that he meditated on. Not to us, Lord. Not to us. Not to Wilberforce. Not to anybody that is a man. But to your name, give glory. Because of your mercy, your unfailing love, your loving kindness, your, in the, in the Hebrew, your hesed love, and because of your truth. And I'll just suggest to you, that's a great life posture. I'm not living this for me. I'm not living this for us. I'm living it for the glory of God. That's what my life is all about. That's what defines me and my life. I'm living this not for the glory of any man, and certainly not for mine, but for the glory of Jesus. May this be our life stance. So I've got five points I'd like to make here this morning, and that's the first one. We need a not-to-us life posture. Everything you do, everything you're about needs to be done for the glory of God, and He can give you the grace that that might happen. Second thing is this. Back then, and still today, we have a problem versus the invisible God. And over here, it's juxtaposed with the crafted God. Now, the crafted God is a God we make. And back then, they had a problem with this, of course. And Israel had a problem with it. They crafted gods. They crafted Baal or Asherah pole, or they would craft Moloch. 
it, what was the worst thing, I think I've told you this, one day we're zipping down in Israel, uh, and because I'm a pastor, the guy says, anytime you'd like the microphone, tell me, I'll give you the microphone. And so we're zipping down. He says, okay, on the, on the right is this thing. Look over, everybody, we're all looking over on the right. On the left is the Valley of Hinnom. Uh, further up on the left, I said, whoa, wait. The Valley of Hinnom, did you say? He says, yeah. I said, I like the mic. Handed me the mic. I said, all right, y'all. On the left, give it a good, everybody look. Everybody look over there right now. That's the Valley of Hinnom. That's Hell. The Valley of Hinnom was Ben-Hinnom. It was shortened to Gehenna. That is the word in the New Testament frequently for hell. And let me tell you why it's hell. Because that's where Israel crafted a God, made a God named Moloch. And they crafted this image, and the king of Israel went down into that valley, and along with so many of the rest of his people, put his child on the altar of Moloch, and they burned that child alive so that they would have good crops this year. That's how wicked Israel got. So then when they look around for an image to say, what is hell? What's the worst possible thing that could happen to us after we die? They decided, there it is, the Valley of Hinnom, Ben-Hinnom, Gah. Hannah, that's hell. We never want to go there. We never want to live that way. Even today, we repent. So I'm saying all this. I'm kind of getting, you know, hyped up on the bus. Everybody's going, boy, he's kind of, he's kind of energized. And I say, uh, then I, then, then I calm my voice down. This was the lowest point in Israel's entire history. Amen. Handed it back and the... Uh, I didn't know what the guy, the guy is a secular Jew who's leading us through. So he doesn't really believe all that much in God, but he's showing us all this stuff. And he kind of looked back at me and says, got that right. <laughs> Y'all, when you craft gods, what happens is you become like them. You become like those gods. And I want to say this, you don't want that. I tried to figure out, these words, why should the nation say, where then is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He's an invisible God, but he's God nonetheless. And he's so much more real than these idols you're making. Verse four, your idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. So I'm trying to think what's the greatest God of our age. I've always said, always said, it's quite clear the gods of our age. Money, sex, power, prestige. But I'm uh, starting to change my tune. I've, I've, I'm beginning to think the premier, there's lots of them, but the premier god of our age is the screen. TV, computers, internet, iPhones, games, we crafted them, we made them, then we sit in front of them and stare them down for 8, 9, 10, 11 hours a day. They say that an average kid's going to text a thousand times today. They say that the average kid will be looking at that screen, one screen or another, for over 8 hours a day, 10 hours a day. You're thinking, what has happened to us? And what if it's true? We become like our gods. Think about what's coming from that screen into our brains. 
and it creates what the scientists call neural pathways. Neural pathways are basically interstates in our brain by which all information runs along. Right? We have interstates here. I was on an interstate, two of them, coming to church today. And traveling to church, he says, that your brain's just like that. All information begins traveling on these interstates. And what happens is those interstates happen to be the things that are important to that screen. Or obviously the people behind that screen. Like Madison Avenue. Like Hollywood. Like the maker of gains. Like people who put pornography together. And those people, that stuff becomes what you are, what you're thinking, how you're acting, the interstates upon which all information begins to travel. So I'm talking one day on my radio show. I say, hey, Struthers, William Struthers, wrote a book just on this topic. Is there any way to change the neural pathways? And his book was on porn. He says, man, once... Once you get porn established as an interstate in your brain, once porn is a neural pathway in your brain, oh, it's impossible to turn it down, turn it off. I said, impossible? He said, well, not quite. There is God. And this God wants to break into your neural pathways and give you new ones. I said, how does that happen? He says, you ever heard of the Bible? You ever heard of prayer? You ever heard of fasting? You ever heard of the people of God getting together with them regularly on Sunday mornings, getting together regularly in their small groups, getting together regularly with someone who disciples you? Yes, that's how you create neural pathways. You get off of the old interstate and you start creating some new ones through your brain. Can it happen? Yes, it can, but I'm going to tell you what happens too much of the time. There's a guy named Soren Kierkegaard who is what they call the father of modern existentialism, which is nothing to brag about in my estimation. But anyway, he actually was a Christian. And he went to church in Copenhagen. And while he was going to church, he noticed, man, these people, they're not real worshipers of God. This is a social club, and it broke his heart. So he starts writing stories and writing books and writing articles about the church. And uh, it's not the only thing he did, but it's one of the things he did. And one of the things he wrote about one day was a goose. And he says, this goose was, uh, was flying along one day and got wounded. Don't know what happened. Uh, pulled a wing or something. And anyway, he landed in a barnyard. And in this barnyard, there were some chickens. So he starts playing around with these chickens and working with these chickens and eating with these chickens. Pretty soon, he got to think, I'm a chicken. I don't know what I was doing up there. This is where I belong with these yahoos. I'm a chicken. So he starts thinking I'm a chicken. And after a while, one day, there's a, there's a whole bunch of geese, a flock of geese that went over that barnyard. And they were honking. And he felt like, you know, hmm, maybe that's where I belong. They look a whole lot more like me than these chickens do. And so... Maybe I need to go up there. And so he starts flapping his wings, and he starts flying up to be with the other geese. But then it just got hard. He hadn't flapped his wings like that for a while. He starts thinking, you know, last time I did this, I got hurt. And if something had stirred within the breast of the goose to get up there, he stopped. And he decided to sail back to the chickens and in the mud of the barnyard he heard their cry 
but he settled for less. And y'all, that's the God's. We've heard the cry. Every one of us in here has heard the cry of God in our lives. We've heard his proverbial honk. And we want to fly with him. But then we find out, i got to do some work to make this thing happen. Yeah, he saves me by his grace. But I'm never going to fly up there unless I flap my wings. And man, this is hard work. I think I'll go back down and live with the chickens. And you can say, our life of sin versus a life of holiness, and holiness is up here. You've got to fly to experience His holiness. And when we find out there may be some problems along the way, let's just go right back down. And the Lord says, if you make chickens your gods, you will become like them. So Jesus wants you to fly. Number three issue is this, the issue of trust. Trust is a huge biblical term. It's really huge in the Old Testament. If, if you've ever taken a, a class at Wesley Biblical Seminary in Old Testament, you'll find out it's a huge word in a book like Isaiah. Huge. Because what they want to do, what, what, what the chosen nation wants to do is put their trust in a big nation that can help them. We're about ready to go to war here. We'd like to get on the side of Assyria. And the Lord says, don't do it. Don't put your trust in other nations. I know you think they can help you, but they won't help you. They'll drag you down to be like chickens, right? You need to trust in me and in me alone. If you're willing to do that, then watch to see what God will do in your life. Well, I, again, let me just share something that I saw last night, wanted to share with you. Shared it before, but uh, I don't know if you've ever seen... The, the movies, there are actually a couple, of them, a couple of them called The Stepford Wives. Have you ever seen The Stepford Wives? You know the story? Well, Tim Keller talks about this in his book, Reason for God. He says, you know, you've got to trust God enough that when he disagrees with you, you're still willing to hang in there in a relationship with him and eventually willing to say, you're right. I trust you. And I disagree with you, Lord. I mean, I think I've told you about this in my own life. One day I had to say, Lord, I trust you with my athletic career. I'm going to give it to you. I don't think you know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. I did this a lot more important issue than that. I did this with women. Lord, I get what you're saying. You're moving in my heart mightily to go your way on this woman thing, but Lord, you're not from around here. I don't think you understand good looks like I understand good looks. I don't think you get what a good wife is like I get what a good wife. And so I I decided one day, I don't really trust you, Lord, but I trust you. And I just abandoned myself to him. The day I abandoned my life to him, I was entirely sanctified. I was full of the Spirit. That's the day when God has total control of your life. It's a good day. But what it means is you don't have control of your life. And that's a little intimidating, I can tell you right now. At any rate, back to the Stepford Wives thing. He says, uh, if a wife 
is not allowed, and I'd say by juxtaposition, if a husband is not allowed, let's just work on the wife thing right now. If a wife is not allowed to contradict her husband, they're never going to have an intimate relationship. You understand what I'm saying here? In other words, in order to have an intimate relationship, you can't just turn your wife into a robot so that they will do everything you want them to do. Now, the men are all of a sudden got your arms crossed. You're not sure what to do here. And the women, I'm getting more smiles from women right now than I've ever had. So I just want to say, you can do the other thing too. Hey, women, it's okay if husbands disagree with you, because this is what needs to happen. You need to come into some kind of understanding, some kind of discussion, some kind of conversation where you're submitting one to another for the glory of God. And if you want a Stepford wife, you're always going to have a truncated spiritual life. You'll never get to where God wants you to be. So, Stepford wives. And so he says, all right, we got the Stepford wife thing. Anything that we want that wife to do, she's going to be doing. She's going to be compliant. She's going to be beautiful. But Keller says, she won't be intimate or personal. And you've got to decide, do I want a friendship? Do I want an intimacy? Do I want a personal relationship? Well, I just want to get in my way all the time. There's quite a decision that has to be made. Now, what happens? Let's take this on another plane. What happens if you decide to have that kind of relationship with, say, the Bible? And some of us do. All right. I like the Bible, but some of the parts are just dumb. That just ain't right. That just ain't right. So I'm going to believe in the parts I want to believe in, and I'm going to reject the rest. Guess what you've just done? You get a God of your own choosing. He's the God that says everything you like, but he's not the God that disagrees with you, wants to change you, wants to make you, wants to mold you. You just said, I don't want a God that says, hey, is someone slaps you on the right cheek, grab your Mississippi gun and blow them away. Because we can never imagine getting slapped on the right cheek and turning him the other one also like Jesus says to do. That ain't part of the Mississippi gospel, you see. But what if it's the kingdom gospel? Now I can't, you know, we're not going to take all the time here to run through all the implications of that. But just let me say, somewhere in your life, you're a pacifist. Excuse me, Pastor? Yeah, somewhere in your life, Jesus says, you need to be the one that says, I lay down my arms like Jesus did on the cross and say, take me. Now, there's times to do that. There's times not to do it. I'll I'll guarantee you that. But Jesus meant business when he said, if a man slapped you on the right cheek, turned him the other also. And if he didn't mean business, then guess what? You just got a God of your own making. You get a God where you decide the things I want to obey and not to obey. And all of a sudden you have a Stepford God. Compliant, beautiful. He agrees in my gospel. And you don't want a Stepford God. Because you'll never ever be the woman 
You'll never ever be the man you need to be. You need to trust in this God. And when he disagrees with you, you submit to him and say, I'm going with you because I trust in you. I trust in your word. I trust that you have I know you're not from around here, God, and it's hard for me to believe, but I'm going to trust that you know more about women than I do, or about money than I do, or about power than I do. That's trust. That's radical. And Jesus says, that's the kind of radical I'm calling you to. And by the way, I sang about that. I sang a song with my boys about that on the night that I was betrayed. Because I knew I was going to have to live it. Which turns into number four. This God is a blessing God. <laughs> he wants to bless you. I love when Steve, uh, Steve was reading it. It just sounds so redundant. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. Say that with me. He will bless us. He will bless us. I believe it. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. The small together with the great, he wants to bless us. But watch out with that. Let me tell you. While he wants to bless us, remember this is Jesus singing a Passover song saying, He wants to bless us. The Father wants to bless us. He's going to bless us. Oh yeah, he's going to bless us. And then he goes over to die. So I said, sweetheart, where's that at? Where's that at? That illustration. I was talking with Edward about this yesterday. Uh, someone else reminded me. I forget who that is. Someone needs to come up after me and say, it was me, man. Why didn't, you, why didn't you say me? It was me that said, somebody said, I remember this illustration. Dennis, was it you? I remember this illustration. Luke, was it you? I forget. I remember this illustration. You shared it, and uh, I've always remembered it. And it comes from the great divorce. C.S. Lewis has an incredibly, it just, it's, a, it's a marvelous book, although it's just, it's, it's kind of the way C.S. Lewis writes. It's, it's, it's fantasy, but it's fantasy that teaches. And The Great Divorce is a book about a dream in which the lost, those people in hell, have been given a bus ride into the foothills of the kingdom of heaven. And what these people get to see is the great difference between that place and the place where they live. Now, just recognize, hey, Lewis isn't trying to teach you. You go to hell, you get a second chance. Or I, I, He's not trying to teach any of that. He's just trying to teach us a little bit about spiritual issues. So he says, just imagine a bus ride from hell to heaven. Imagine they're in the foothills of the kingdom, and imagine this taking place. Everybody says, you know, we're out of here. We're tired of this. This, this isn't right. They want to go to hell. They criticize, they argue, they finally return to hell, but not one. One decides, hey, I want to hang around a little longer. And that one who chooses to stay is in fact changed. But first, he has to deal with something that's on his shoulder. And this thing that's on his shoulder is preventing him from getting into heaven. You remember us talking about this before? It's a red lizard. And this red lizard is always speaking to him in his ear, always chattering away, consistently whispers into the ear of this person, keeps that person from being fully human. So this, this red lizard and an angel, a burning angel of light, stands before this man with the lizard. And the angel finally says, hey, you want to get rid of that thing, don't you? The man says, yeah, I kind of like to. 
And the angel says, I can kill it. Well, that just sounds kind of radical. Killing? I'm not so sure I want it killed. Oh, yes, you do. You want it killed. I can kill it. Let me kill it. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this lizard's kind of taking an interest now. Oh, let's not listen to this guy. He's, this angel's crazy. No, 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 no. Let's not do this. And the man says, I don't think I'm going to do it now. There is no other time. Let me do it. Let me kill it. No, I don't think so. Maybe later. Maybe I can come back later. It says, there is no later. Now is the day. Today is the day. You need to let me kill it. Give him permission, and I will kill it. And the lizard's going crazy, and the man doesn't know if he wants to. And finally, the angel begins moving closer to the man, and the man says, whoa, don't get too close. You're burning. It hurts me. And the angel says, I didn't say it wouldn't hurt but I need to kill that lizard. I need your permission. And finally, <laughs> the angel grabs this lizard. Oh, it's just going crazy as you can imagine. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. Come on, let's get out of here. Don't let him do it. And he grabs this lizard and he mangles it and he kills it and he crumbles it in his hand and he throws it down dead to the ground. And all of a sudden, the man is free. He's free to be human. He's free to go to heaven. He's free to live without this lizard. He's free to be all that God wants him to be. He's free. But they both look down. Both his man, the angel, look down. This lizard, this red lizard is dead. But all of a sudden now, it looks to be coming back to life. And this mangled thing, red thing, all of a sudden now gets bigger. A lot bigger than a lizard. A lot bigger. It becomes a stallion. And the man that once had this thing on his shoulder jumps on top of the horse and rides away to promise. You're thinking, uh, what's that? What's that? It's this. For Christ, he sings this song. And he doesn't want to go through the agony of the cross. But the Father says, there needs to be a death here before there can be resurrection. Father, he says in the Garden of Gethsemane, is there an option B? I know what option A is. Is there an option B? And the Father says, no. You've got to die on that cross, And Jesus says, then arise, let us be going. And they go to meet the cross. And they kill him dead. But then, he rises. And when he rises, guess what? We've all been riding that resurrection to glory land ever since. That's the promise of the gospel. Something dies, but it turns into something that we can ride. What happens to the cross? It turns into the empty tomb, and the empty tomb we can ride into heaven. Not a heaven that's somewhere off there, a heaven that's here, that's today, where we can be holy as He is holy right now. That's the kind of life we can have. Now, think about an addict. For an addict, God wants to kill your addiction. He never promised it wouldn't hurt. Now, I've heard testimonies. I've heard them. You have too. Well, I'm addicted to something, 
Hey, we, we had Larry Perry up here one day saying I was, I was on crack cocaine. I was whacked out. He says, and like that, I wasn't. God changed it. Now, God can do that. God sometimes does do that, but very rarely. What God does most of the time is saying, now, let's work. Now, let's battle. Now, let's go through the steps. And at Celebrate Recovery, we have steps that we work through in small group to say, Lord, bring us to the place where I might be whole. And what happens to our addiction is Christ finally kills it dead. Then let me tell you what happens. This is the best part. Once it's dead, what happens? It arises from death and it turns into a testimony now that we can talk about and help liberate other people. He wants to kill it, but then he wants to use it. Oh, y'all, that's your life whether you're an addict or not. God wants to kill your sin. Then he wants you to say, now let me write it in the form of a testimony that other people might be able to combat sin by the grace of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit that I might be all the woman he ever imagined I could be. All the man that he dreams that I can be. Y'all, that's the gospel right there. But there's a killing before there's a riding away. Have we allowed the death to happen? Jesus stands across from you right now and say, and he says, let me kill it. And he says, my own blood will play a huge role in this death. The fifth thing is simply this. Verse 18, but as for us, we will bless the Lord. From this time forward and forever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So this is what we'd get. We want to bless the Lord. This is how he gives us everything in this passage to know how to do it. Sure, there are other teachings that can be grafted into this, but Jesus sings about this, and I believe at the end of the song, everybody understands exactly what this is. How can we put a smile on God's face? That means blessing the Lord. How can we put a smile on His face? Real quick, five things. Number one, we live for His glory, not for ours. Number two, we let Him kill our idols. Kill them dead. Listen, guys, it's okay to have an iPhone. It's not okay that you can't put it away for a day, for a week, or for a month and just not live without it. That's not okay. It's not okay to give it the best part of your day today. Today's Sunday. That ought to make perfect sense. But if today's Tuesday, not to give your iPhone the best part of the day. Just to say, yeah, I'm going to use it but I'm not going to let it use me. I'm not going to be so tethered to it that it has control over my life. That has to do with TV, just like it has to do with iPhone, just like it has to do with computer games, just like it has with pornography over the internet. I will not let it ride me. Amen? So first thing is simple. 
It says, we live for his glory, not ours. We kill our idols. We let him kill our idols. Then number three, we trust in God and in God alone. Say that with me. We trust in God and in God alone. And the fourth thing is we embrace, we embrace the blessing of God, although it might mean something dies. And it may be you that dies, a spiritual death. And the fifth thing is we bless God with our fully consecrated life. Not part. Total. And it's going to take a miracle to make that happen. But our Jesus is into that kind of miracles.